And I'm Pat. And this is Y2K Movies. A podcast about the films of the 21st century. This week we're looking at 2022's White Noise, a film which dramatizes a contemporary family's attempt to deal with the mundane conflicts of everyday life while grappling with the universal mysteries of love, death, and the possibility of happiness in an uncertain world. White Noise had its world premiere as opening film of the 79th Venice International Film Festival on August 31st, 2022, and also served as the opening film for the 2022 New York Film Festival. Uh, The film was released theatrically uh, by Netflix November 25th, 2022, before starting its streaming release on December 30th. Now, um, I saw it on Netflix we, uh, I had, this film was on my radar because I am a uh, casual fan of director Noah Baumbach. We had to, um, Squid in the Whale was something that we, I remember I watched in a film, uh, screenwriting class once. Um, and Greta Gerwig, I know for reasons I'll get into later. So I was definitely, uh, interested about this movie and I had heard some of the discourse about the book because this is based on a, uh, based on a book from the eighties. And, um, it wasn't until the train derailment happened in Ohio in East Palestine, which is where this film was shot. So part of this movie has to do, uh, not the whole movie as I was surprised to find out, but a, a portion of it, a third of it probably has to do with a train derailment that happens and causes an airborne toxic event. And, uh, the fact that this film was shot in East Palestine and then just recently in the news, a train derailment actually happened that caused uh, some environmental kerfuffle. And um, people started talking about this movie again. And I think that's probably the reason that <laughs> we decided to watch it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, being the morbid, uh, morbid conspiratorial fucking whack jobs that we are. We're like, well, we know what we're doing next week. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was interesting because our last episode that aired was the missed one, which kind of yeah. had to do with uh, deal with uh, dealing with fucking crises too. So it's kind of a inadvertent theme here. Uh, what did you think of this, or what, what do you, what do you want to say about this thing? Uh, it was it was it was interesting. It was really cool. <laughs> I actually liked it. I would say that it was a fun movie. Um, I, I liked I, it for the most part. Yeah. I yeah. Would, I really yeah. like Adam driver. Uh, I think he's a good, I actually think he's a great actor and he reminded me a lot of, cause he takes these weird like roles, right? Like yeah. he did this one. He did the dead don't die, which that, that role and this role are very like familiar to me. Um, I just, That's the Jim Jarmusch the, zombie copy mo- zombie cop movie or something. Yeah, yeah okay. with Bill Murray. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Like, I I just I liked I liked that the mom was like hiding books of the occult in the attic, and everybody thought the worst <laughs> because she was taking drugs, and those drugs were making her forget shit. But she was happy as a motherfucker, man. I was like, damn. I was like, that shit is. She does not care at all. She is down for whatever anything goes. Like I'm just like whatever she is on <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> but uh I also uh you know, the daughter looked like Harry Potter to me, so like that's all I could see the whole movie. 
<laughs> uh, I counted three times that Lucky Charms was in the movie within the first 10 minutes. And then after that, I forgot what I was doing. So uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of product placement, which is yeah. either a way for Netflix to fund it, or it was a comment on consumerism in the eighties or something. So yeah. in, in the, in the show, in the movie's byline, it says, uh, dramatizes a contemporary family it, they're not they're contemporary enough i guess in the in the grand history of the universe but uh this film is set in 1985 so um it, it's definitely a little bit of a throwback and i honestly had to look that up because i didn't know when it was set and if you watch it you can tell it's not modern but it feels kind of modern enough like it doesn't feel that dated and obviously they're dressed a little, you know, corny, I guess, or eighties ish or whatever, you know, Right. but, um, and there's no cell phones or anything, but, uh, mo- mo- that doesn't affect 99% of the story. It kind of, it, it doesn't really matter when it's set, but it is set in the past because that's when the book came out. So it was modern for when the book came out, I guess, contemporary for that. But, um, and respects to the film and when that was released in modern times, it is kind of a period piece. Yeah, I uh, I caught on quick, at least, that it was not set on in modern times. Uh, I do think it was kind of weird about the whole, like, whatever, like, the wagon fucking thing, like, where all the station wagons were lined up down the road. Oh, when they're trying to evacuate the city? No, at the, uh, the um, beginning of the movie, they're like, uh, they all line their, like, station wagons up, and he was like, you missed it. And she was like, oh, man. And he goes, that's okay. There's always next year. Like, I don't know, dude. Like, their uh, whole, I I enjoyed it in a weird way to me. I know you say, like, modern. Like, had a, it did have a very modern tone. But how the parents acted towards each other really reminded me of, like, the 50s kind of style. Like, very, like, the world's okay. Everything is fine. We're here. You know, this is us and I, I i really dug that and then uh don Cheadle, he was great in it uh i thought it was weird that and this is actually another weird coincidence that we're having because we the previous podcast that we just recorded one of the brothers had like this hitler thing go on adam driver's character as yeah. the hitler uh class uh the history like of him and Don Cheadle is trying to do like a history thing of Elvis, which when I heard that, I figured that you'd appreciate that. Yeah. So Adam Driver's character is a uh, university professor who teaches a class on German studies or, or, or Hitler specifically. And he's seen as kind of like an expert in the field. And um, yeah, Don Cheadle is one of his... Uh, one of his professor friends. So is Andre 3000, which I thought was fucking crazy. Yeah, that was <laughs> fucking awesome. funny to me. <laughs> uh, put him in more stuff. Why not? I mean, he hasn't done bad in anything. He was pretty good at Four Brothers, that Spike Lee movie. Like, fucking use oh, him. Four Brothers was awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Andre 3000, get your ass out there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, when you talk about the, the parents, yeah, they are kind of aloof and pot and, and, and optimistic to a fault. And, uh, that's one of the things that 
you know, but the, the film itself is kind of surreal. And, and I know that it's based on a book, but it almost feels more like a stage play at times. Like when they have these like really big dialogue banter scenes, right? I could see that take, taking place on a stage. Right. And I know that it's from a book and it's a movie. So theater really isn't part of that equation, but it has a theater feel to me. It feels like you're reading David Mamet or you're watching like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or some shit. You know what I mean? Right. Um, which is, which is writer, director, Noah Baumbach. Like that's, that's his brand, you know? And I haven't, uh, I haven't seen all of his movies. I'm not trying to act like I'm the world's fucking, I can't even really say his last name. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did I, just looking at his. Uh, oh, I didn't know he wrote Madagascar Three, so I've seen that one. And he did Ma- Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay, I've seen that one. And Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu. That's interesting. I didn't know he wrote with uh, who the fuck is that guy? Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Oh, okay. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So Squid and the Whale was like I said. That was the one I was most familiar with. Which I wouldn't mind covering sometimes because it's actually a really fucking good movie. And it's kind of, that was the movie that introduced the world to Jesse Eisenberger. Um, or Eisenberg. And uh, who else is in that? Anna Paquin, Jeff Daniels, Laura Linney. Um, definitely worth checking out. That, like I said, we studied that in film school. And then Francis Ha is a movie that he wrote with. Um, Greta Gerwig. So Greta Gerwig plays the mother in this film. And I know her because she is, uh, was she wrote and directed Lady Bird. She's, she's the writer director with Noah Baumbach of the Barbie movie that's coming out. Okay. They wrote that one together and she directed it. And before she was dating or married to this guy, she was, uh, in a bunch of her, her first movies were mumblecore movies by this guy, Joe Swanberg. And I don't know if I've talked about him on the podcast yet, but me and him went to film school together and, uh, we left <laughs> and he went down to U of I and I, and I think he finished, he still got his bachelor's degree in film, but he, he did it. He went to a school that Columbia was kind of a shit show. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend art school for anybody, but, um, he left film school and went to a real college that had a film program. That's what he did. And then I went into the fucking trades and, uh, he kept making movies and he became kind of, a um, a, I don't want to say pioneer, but one of the, uh, more famous people in the mumblecore scene. And then, um, he was also in your next and his big breakthrough hit was supposed to be drinking buddies. And that kind of just did so, so, and I don't know what he's doing now. I heard he opened a video store uh, here in Chicago. But anyway, so that's where Greta Gerwig came from. She was this indie darling that went on, uh, eventually left Joe Swanberg and started doing films with Noah Baumbach. They got married, and uh, now they got Barbie coming out in um, a couple months. Right. So that's, that's cool. That's 411 there. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> so how did you as far as the the reason that we came to watch this the train derailment plot line which you know like i said is not the entire movie it's but it's a it's a decent portion of it how did you how did you feel about that uh i mean i thought it was interesting how they handled it um they 
I mean, things happened pretty quickly through it. And I, I kind of like that. It was just a little part of it. Like, and the bigger picture was, you know, with the family. And I, I think that was really, uh, I don't know that like that was all interesting. And then when they were trying to escape, uh, when they went into the river, I felt like that was very like national lampoony, like with yeah. him kind of like turning the wheel and everything. But, uh, no, like I, I, I thought like it was really interesting how everything happened, and then boom, <laughs> like life's kind of back to normal. But like people that were exposed have a different life expectancy now, and uh, people are somewhat paranoid. But I don't know. It's uh, I, I did think it was. I mean, obviously, I. We we watch this because of what's going on, right? And I think it's weird that in the movie things responded so much faster and things got picked up so much quicker than in real life. <laughs> when usually in movies it's like the opposite way around, right? Like it's like it takes forever and things are not going well. <clears throat> yeah, it uh, it was it was strange. So you're watching this movie. That is um, very much a comedy. And you get that it's supposed to be quirky and funny. But then this train derailment happens. And the way that it's shot and edited is very suspenseful. Um, you know, this film, it, it it's the way that it juggles the tone. I think it's worth watching, even if you turn it off after the train. And don't. I mean, watch the whole movie. But I think that there's really something to be learned with the way that it handles the train derailment plotline because it never stops being quirky and funny and very Coen Brothers like, you know. But it also gets a darker edge to it and it can feel menacing at times and it can feel you get the confusion and the panic and like. It's still, it's very surreal, but at the same time, very realistic. And it, you almost, I got the feeling that what we were seeing, I felt like the only way that you could write something like this is if you had gone through it to some extent, right? And I'm not saying that, the, I, I don't know enough about the guy who wrote the original book or anything, whether or not there was some some incident like this in his past, but it felt very like, the, the weird concerns and the things that you would say and the way that the kids keep talking in the back seat and asking him random questions and the way, you know, th that you talked about um, how kind of optimistic and aloof all the adults are and how in a very 1950s feel when the, when, when there's a, a really interesting way that they handle the decision to mobilize and respond and acknowledge this threat, right? They know what happens. <clears throat> They can kind of see what's happening from afar, right? The chemical burn, the smoke, all the stuff. And they just kind of choose not to acknowledge it. And the, the news is saying this one thing, and now they're saying this. So there's some disinformation going back and forth. I could see that whole thing very much playing out in today, in today's society. You know what I mean? And yeah. the and they're kind of like the dad doesn't want to acknowledge like we got to leave the house we got to leave we got to leave this is this is bad they're evacuating us right and the parents like no 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 that's fine no no just sit down they're just it's it's fine 
You know what I mean? Until the decision finally comes, like, we got to go. And, um, you know, I think that's something that we think about. And, right. you know, you might have you might have ideas on how you would respond or how do you react. And this is something that we were just talking about earlier tonight. But fucking, I lost power. <laughs> and we had to deal with that as a, as a fucking family. And like, okay, you do this and you do this. And here are the flashlights. All right, I'm going to come down. And um, whatever, power's back on, no big deal. But how if it was a if it was a bigger emergency if we had to fucking put shoes on and leave the house and pack a bag and all that stuff how would we respond you know if you're trying to evacuate a city and you're with your family in a car like when that car goes <laughs> is driving on the shoulder then flips over i mean that it was little stuff like that where you it felt very realistic and it felt like you were watching a much different movie for a little bit you know um but then it goes back to just being kind of a Coen Brothers thing. Right. Yeah. No, I actually had that. It, uh, it was kind of like the relationship in Fargo between the main, uh, woman cop. What is her name? Cannot think of her name right now. Well, Francis. Uh, right, yeah. McDormand. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, her and her husband. Like, I just kind of felt like that's what I was watching for a little bit. And then, and then there was even kind of ways like Wes Anderson, uh, especially when they were evacuating and the parents were like, Oh no, it's good. And then the kids started crying and that kind of cut away into that was, uh, to me, at least kind of West Andeson. So, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, I really like it, but I, I do agree. Like it does kind of, it, it felt like it could be put almost in every like generation. Right. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there was. I mean, it, instead of them listening to the radio, you could have had the brother going back and forth about something you seen on Twitter yeah. about something happening, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or 20 years ago, it could be uh, like science right. in the closet watching the TV screen. <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, which was one of the complaints I heard going into this, and something that's kind of been talked about a little bit here and there is the running time. So it was a long movie and it felt like a long movie. Um, but really it was only, let me check. I don't think it was, it was like crazy long. It was two hours maybe. Um, but, you know, Netflix has been accused in the past of inflating their running times or stretching episodes out. Because one of the ways that that Netflix kind of shows their engagement to investors or, or whatever is that they like to say, oh, we have, you know, like this year we've had, you know, 47 million minutes watched, right? So that's why there's, you know, hey, instead of like keeping movies shorter, for theater times so that you could have as many repeat viewings in a day as possible, right? It's a, it's more of an a, uh, incentive for a movie to be just under two hours than just over two hours because then you can flip the theater and get it ready for another showing. Um, Netflix kind of has an op- opposite incentive where the long, the more episodes of the season they can do, the more the longer they can make a movie, the more they can brag that it has an extended running time. Right. And, 
I thought that was interesting in, in regards to this movie because it did feel long and I felt like it kept going on and there was more shit and more shit. But also then you watch the end credits, which is this amazing dance number that gets you to fucking sit there <laughs> through the whole entire oh. end credits. Whereas yeah. normally you would have turned it off at that point and walked away, right? right. So I, it's funny because I had just heard the Netflix running time theory on a different podcast earlier last week. And then when I was watching uh, White Noise, I was like, man, I wonder if they were right, because this feels like way too long. And then I saw the fucking credit sequence, and I'm like, oh, now they're just fucking with me. Now they're just, <laughs> now they're just trying to get me to fucking sit here for as long as possible. Um, yeah, did you feel that the movie was too long? I mean, here it's got one of those things where it's kind of like with the Sparks Brothers documentary. If you wanted to shorten that up, what would you cut out? Right? Would right. you not talk about the 90s or something for the Sparks? Like, if you were to cut out if you were to try to shorten up white noise, what would you cut out? Like maybe some of the uh, father daughter detective work about the pills or whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? Or probably some... maybe like two of those scenes. Yeah. Like there's not a whole lot. It is a long movie and there is a lot of story there, but it doesn't necessarily feel like there's a lot of dead weight. It's right. just, just kind of, no, a, just, a... it just goes. That's all. It just yeah. goes. And yeah. I mean, and I think it, I think that theory might be true. Uh, it could also have been because they felt the same way in the momentum of the, it's like, I mean, the characters keep developing throughout the whole movie. So as, as long as it may have been, I was engaged throughout. And I mean, it was, it was, I don't know, like it, it was one of those, uh, just eye-catching and then the all like the supermarket scene like it's just like it just grabs your attention and it tries to make it into this like utopia and then it goes back to like normal day life and it's somewhat bright but also very like close and i don't know just the way that it's knitted it's 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 a it's a nicely edited throughout movie and i feel like it connects yeah, no, I could see that. The The dance number at the end was um, surreal, but once again, like like you brought up the product placement, um, you know, kind of as a commentary on consumerism and, and brands and shit like that. Right. And that was kind of the... It's funny to see them... One of the things you... I'm not saying you don't see them do other stuff as a family because they flee an airborne toxic event together as a family. But um, there are several scenes where they go grocery shopping. Yeah. And that's kind of like, you know, outside of the home and the workplace, that's kind of like their other destination, you know? Right. No, um, I was going to say, it's, it's pretty liminal. Like, they make that grocery store, like, very, like, there's people there, but it's almost like drones. Yeah. Yeah, so, and they and it, they do do product placement, but then they also do the Repo Man generic, uh, like white bag of chips that just says chips. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a couple shots with it, with that too. So I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, people buy Lucky Charms. Okay, fucking <laughs> point, point taken. <laughs> We're all Americans. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that shrug off ecological disasters and buy Lucky Charms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't like it fucking move to russia you fucking commie (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, speaking of uh, Russian, which kind of has no way of connecting, but do you like? Uh, are you going to go see Creed three? You don't know because uh, I don't think I watched the second one. I don't think oh, I watched dude. the. Uh, did we talk about the Rocky thing? I could swear. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never, I never got around to watching that. And uh, so, the in Rocky three, uh, I think Michael B. Jordan has like way more creativity on it, or either he's directing it or something. I don't know. He did direct it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, the fighting he said is going to be more like anime style, and uh, his the person that he's. Fighting is Jonathan Majors, who is king. Right. right. So I definitely, I'm definitely going to go see it because mainly because of all that. But he, they, uh, I saw an interview with him and he was talking about, is there any like of the fighting styles or anything like that from anime that you're going to see in it? And he brought up a dragon, a DBZ, Dragon Ball Z, uh, punch in, the, the the cut that they showed was the Frieza and Goku fight, so I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in seeing if Jonathan Majors like punches Michael B. Jordan like so hard, it coughs up blood and like you can hear his ribs break. I don't know. I'm excited though. That's interesting. <laughs> that that almost makes me want to. I mean, I'm not going to, but. <laughs> it makes me it makes me halfway like okay you know what i'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it after you go see it i'll put it like okay that. i uh yeah i i uh there's like so many fucking movies coming out like we just did we, we just did ant-man and the weekend before that we did fucking magic mike and then this weekend we're doing um cocaine bear and then what is it? Fucking scream is like March third. I don't know. Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like nonstop almost. And then, uh, what is April? Uh, Evil Dead's April. Like it's busy. The fucking. Oh, well, dude! Did I tell you that I'm seeing Bruce Campbell in April? Where at? Uh, he's coming to Durham, at like this uh the Carolinas Theater Center or something. And I bought VIP tickets to go. Uh, we're watching a screening with him, but probably of like Evil Dead Two or something. And then he's doing some like game show, uh, and then we get like a picture with him and like an autograph. That's really cool. Super stoked! Super stoked! I'm gonna try to sneak in Bob Boba Hotep and try to get him to sign that too. <laughs> so. We have to do that. I think uh I don't I don't know. I think that might be um something we could bring Ashers back for. Because I don't know if she had not seen that. Or she did. Oh, she didn't know about the sequel, the Bubba Nasratu sequel. Um Yeah, dude, I didn't know that either. Oh but really? Did, yeah, did they do that or No, they were talking about it because Gotcha. Yeah, Don Cascarelli was friends with Paul Giamatti. That's why he pops up and John dies at the end. Right. And they, uh, that was always the pitch was that it was going to be, they were going to have, because uh, that was written, I, I want to say it was written by Joe Hill. Was it written by King's Kid? I, th- I think so. It was based on a book, yeah. And they were going to have him, maybe it was an either he wrote it or he, it was an idea, but it was... It was pretty fleshed out. It was going to be Elvis uh, with, um, as a vampire hunter, working for the government, 
under Nixon and him and Tom Parker hunting fucking vampires. Right. And it was Bubba Nosferatu. And, uh, that'd been so yeah. sick, man. Yeah, that would have been cool. And I don't know, maybe who knows, but, uh, damn. Yeah. Bruce Campbell's yeah, super stoked about it. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. So anything else about white noise? Uh, I don't think so. I definitely, uh, definitely check it out. I would say it's one of Netflix's good ones that they put out in the last year or so. Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, I'd recommend it just a little bit long. No shame. And if it takes two sittings, I'll <laughs> say that <laughs> I, I sat through it once, but if you got to break it up, come back the next night.